That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call. Yo, Houston are playing today against Boston Celtics, but that starts at 2.30 a.m. my time. So um, we ain't doing a podcast on that because, no, we knew <laughs> this was coming. So we prepped up a trade deadline and buyout market special. We've waited a week so we could see how players are performing on their new teams and be able to give you an analysis based on performance rather than assumption. I'm your host, Adam Taylor of Celtics Block, joined by my co-host and friend, Tim Shields. Yo, Tim, what up? Nothing much, man. Uh, doing pretty good. Good, good. I mean, this is the third take at the intro because the first two weren't great. So I know Tim probably wasn't expecting this one to go well, hence why there was a bit of a pause between the hello and hello. So <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get my uh, my alt-mute button to open up. <laughs> yeah, it happens to me all the time. Happens to me all the time. So quickly, the Celtics got Houston Rockets tonight against, well, it would be last night by the time you guys are listening to this. The Rockets have gone dramatically small following the trade of Clint Capella. What's interesting about that is they've got a coach in Mike D'Antoni, and I put a tweet out about this earlier today, who is very offensive-minded, and they're going to need to be able to be very detail-orientated on defense. When you go small, you need to be switching regularly, and there are multiple types of switches that you can do. Brad Stevens talks about them sometimes in his post-game shows. I personally don't think D'Antoni is the coach that's going to be able to drill this team to be respectable on defense now that they've gone small. I definitely don't think that's the case either. Uh, he's, As you said, he's an offensive-minded coach. Houston's already had defensive concerns, so this now coming into the fold, we'll have to see how it works. Um, if it's going to be contingent on them just being an elite offensive team, okay. Um, they're probably going to be expecting to just run people out of the gym every night. That being said, they are dangerously thin at the four and five. Yeah, their rotations are going to be very playoff-esque. It's going to be a shortened rotation because they just don't have the personnel to go really deep into that roster and feel confident in doing so. It's going to be fun to burn out. Like, do you think they're going to burn out quickly? Well, that's always an issue when you've got D'Antoni as the coach anyway, due to the high speed he wants you guys to play. That seven seconds offense is predicated on your fitness levels being otherworldly over the course of a season. Not being able to pull guys out and give them their proper amount of rest, is it's always a risk, right? Huge risk. So that I mean, we segued quite well into it with the Clint Capella trade. So we'll start there. I know that Tim was loving life, guys. As you follow this podcast through and we come to any opportunity to talk trades, Tim is in his element. I always imagine him like um, one of those little Japanese anime dolls that are kind of like super wide-eyed with stars all around <laughs> them. Jesus Christ. Like that's loving, to me? Oh. When it's trade talk, dude. Yeah, dude. I feel like that's uh, that's the best way to describe you, like one of those happy anime characters. <laughs> well, I'm flattered. Um, so as everyone's already known with that trade, that is probably the biggest trade, if I'm correct. I think by the final number, it was 15 players that got moved, and it was the largest trade since 
think it was 2000 since the Patrick Ewing deal that sent uh, Ewing to the Seattle Supersonics. That's a throwback. Essentially, what it watered down to, Rockets ended up getting Robert Covington, Jordan Bell, who they ended up flipping later, and they got a 2024 second-round pick. Hawks ended up getting Clint Capella and Nene Hilario, who has since then been waived. The Timberwolves got Malik Beasley, uh, Juan Hernan Gomez, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, and Evan Turner. Evan Turner is expected to get bought out. I don't think that's become official yet. And they got a 2020 first-round pick. Then the Nuggets got Kaida, Bates-Diop, Noah Vonley, Shabazz Napier, and Gerald Green and a 2020 first round pick. Uh, Shabazz Napier, I believe, got sent to the Wizards, which ended up leading to Isaiah Thomas getting put in a trade uh, with the Clippers. But anywho, so that's that big, massive trade of Clint Capella. Personally, for me, I'm really interested to see how they're going to manage to get those pieces together. As I said previously before in a podcast, Clint Capella makes me a little bit nervous because of that nagging ankle injury. In my eyes, while he is a great player uh, and he would raise the ceiling of the team, I personally don't think it was in the best interest of the Celtics to go after him in particular because of his health concerns. It would just be adding another injured body, talented, albeit interested in the team in terms of how he would add to it, but he is always injured, so I really don't know if I'd want that. You know what gets me, though? Atlanta instantly became one of the best pick-and-roll tandem teams in the league because Trey Young and Clint Capella together running that pick-and-roll and pick-and-pop are going to be a really tough weapon to stop. And that's their duo now, right? I mean, the league got parity because the super teams broke up and they've become like super duos with the exception of Boston that have got the four horsemen. I'm pushing that. And <laughs> it's kind of like... Right, so Atlanta were looking for a way to have their own dynamic duo that didn't just involve, um, I can never pronounce his name, is it Huerta? Yeah, Kevin Yeah, Hurt. I mean, who can shoot lights out, dude. He's, um, he's a fantastic player in his own right, but he, I don't think he was the sort of guy they were looking for to kind of make a bit of a, a run at the playoffs this year, along with DeAndre Hunter, who I think has been quietly solid throughout the year as well. They've really elevated their their roster by making this trade. I do think that John Collins is a fantastic player and it's going to be interesting to see where he fits now because he was having a great season, which makes this trade questionable because they didn't really need Capella due to how Collins was playing, but it does give them that dynamic of Trey Young and Clint Capella running that pick and roll play. I do wonder what the overall fit is going to be there long-term especially since we heard murmurs of John Collins potentially being available. On top of that, um, the Hawks ended up getting Scal Levisieri in cash in a deal with the Blazers on February 6th. So they also, on top of getting all the pieces they already had, they went out and they got another big. So I really don't know what they're thinking there. If they're kind of just kind of turning into like what the Kings were, <laughs> they're the Kings of the East at this point. Uh, not in a good way. They're kind of like Sacramento in terms of having way too many bigs and not being able to play them all together. I don't know how that's going to pan out long-term, but they do have a lot of talent there, and it'll be interesting to see how they piece it all together. And it's not like they're making a trade and gambling on the playoffs this year. You know, They're not trying to go out and win a championship. They've got time. They've got youth. And now they went out and they got a cost-controlled center who, as you said, is great in the pick and roll it's just going to be interesting to see how the pieces fit. And that's kind of, I feel like this is probably one of those moves where they just see how, what happens and see 
what they've got in terms of talent together. You see, the one thing with the Hawks is I don't buy into the narrative that they're the kings of the East simply because up until this trade deadline, they looked like they had a legitimate, straightforward plan. They were drafting intelligently. They were putting a roster together that played the way they wanted, what we thought was the way they wanted to play. They were getting shooting from everywhere. And it was working. I think they were looking like in a year or two, they were going to be a real problem for some teams to match up with. Maybe they've got Capella to help bridge that gap between now and then. Because uh, that's pretty much what Boston did with Al Horford as well. They were building around the young guys, but they bought in a veteran that could help bridge that gap and make them respectable now as well as in the future. So if that's why they've done it, then I can completely understand. It makes sense from an X's and O's standpoint makes sense from putting some wins on the wing column. If they don't feel like there's a player that fits their their style of play or what they're trying to achieve in the upcoming draft or the next few drafts, and they've got their eyes on 2022 and above, then making this move makes sense because adding Capella is going to add wins, which is also going to affect where you're drafting anyway. So it does make sense if you look at it from a business standpoint in that perspective. Another team I want to look at, though, is the Timberwolves. I feel like those guys really added depth across the board in some of the trades that they made. Most notably, the one I really liked was their pickup of Amari Spellman. Uh, Not a big name, doesn't do much to get himself in the headlines, but he's a solid big that's strong, gritty, uh, always got that angry face on him. Reminds me a little bit of, um, was it Pekovic that they had before him, that angry Russian dude? Remember him? Yeah. Yeah, I do. It's it is Pekovic. Yeah, so Spellman's a similar build. Like he's not. I mean, Pekovic probably was a little bit more skilled than what Spellman is, but having him coming off the bench to back up Carl um, Anthony Towns is going to add some real, real grit to that team. And then D'Angelo Russell, who I think is going to help elevate Cat to the next level, simply again because of the pick and roll play that can happen between those two, and being able to run Cat as the popper off those pick plays is going to be. It's going to be a nightmare, dude, because bigs aren't going to be able to keep up with him. If they show, he's going to drop his shoulder, get into the lane and find D-low cutting because he's a phenomenal passer. If they drop, if they sag, he's going to drop dimes on them all day. If he doesn't drop dimes, he's going to pull up and splash. It's, it's, to me, this was a trade that the Timberwolves needed to make. It wasn't working with Andrew Wiggins. I feel like Andrew Wiggins, you might see a resurgence from him now he's in Golden State because Draymond didn't let him nothing fly. If you, ain't put, <laughs> if you ain't doing what you need to be doing, he's going to be in your face. And uh, that's what, that's what An- Andrew Wiggins needed. He needed that accountability. So the Timberwolves, to me, were probably the biggest winners of the, the entire trade deadline. I don't know if you agree. Uh, I tend to agree with that, for sure. Especially when you look at the deal that ended up getting Capella to the Hawks. I mean, they got Malik Beasley, who's a really, really nice scoring piece from the Nuggets, Juan Hernan Gomez, who is also a really good big. I think he's really solid. And I have to see what the protections are in that 2020 first-round pick uh, via the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know if it has any big protections on it, but that's potentially another piece that they could flip later on. And as you said before, with getting rid of Andrew Wiggins and his contract, uh, you still had a package together, a 2020 first-round pick and a 2021 second-round pick. Um, So those will both convey in 2021. Uh, barring any protections they have on them. But they got D'Angelo Russell in-house. He's a guy that they've wanted for a long time. We've literally been hearing for months, when are they going to get him? When are they going to get him? He wants to play with Cat. 
and this is going to make Carl Anthony Towns happy. He's playing with one of his best friends in the NBA who happens to be a talented player who currently, as of right now, is a better player than Andrew Wiggins. you got a couple other pieces. And on top of that, with that Clint Capella deal, you're adding a bunch of new bench pieces that are going to revitalize your team. So you look at the big grand scheme of things, the Timberwolves kind of did like a massive overhaul. It seems like they just went ahead and their roster changed overnight. They had a picture of their press conference where they're introducing all the players. They had like six or seven, maybe even eight dudes up there with brand new jerseys just standing there waiting to be introduced. It's like a wild thing. It's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen a team do this at the deadline before. Alan Crabb as well was another nice little pickup. Yeah, they did that a few weeks ago before, yeah, way before the deadline. That was also a nice pickup. Yeah, for sure. So it's it's been it's been interesting to see what's happening out west. I don't feel like the Timberwolves are going to have any direct or subsidiary impacts on what the Celtics face in the playoffs simply because one they have to get to the finals and two the Timberwolves aren't getting to the finals. So those moves don't really affect the team that we're bothered about it affecting but it is interesting to see it's as you say it was an unprecedented amount of moves that they made in a short span of time looking back to Boston though obviously by now everybody's aware they stood pat Uh, no moves were made there's been talk on both sides of the coin whether to blame Danny Ainge whether he made the right decision only time's really going to tell At, at the time I was I was very frustrated I feel like another shooting piece off the bench would have really elevated this team's trajectory. Now, now I've had time to sit down and take stock of the team. Romeo Langford all of a sudden is playing exceptionally well for a young guy in the minutes he's getting. And those minutes seem to be slowly becoming a legitimate part of the rotation at this point. I'm not as concerned as what I was. Romeo, if he's getting those minutes and performing the way he has, He's not a a shooting threat off the bench, but he's a slashing threat off the bench that can still put points up that the bench wasn't getting to begin with. So, okay, he doesn't offer the floor spacing that you kind of wanted this team to have at that point, but he does offer another dynamic where he's going to make defenses collapse and make kickouts to the shooters a lot more palatable. I mean, if you look at Brad Wanamaker, Brad Wanamaker as a spot-up shooter this year has been phenomenal. Uh, I had the numbers a moment ago. I don't know where I've put them because that's what I do. But from the corners and from the non-corners, Brad Wanamaker is actually among the top tier of guys in the league for spot-up shooting. So having a guy like Romeo that is going to force those those collapses on the defense when guys like Kemba are sitting in the defense once, because that's what's happening at the moment, right? You've got guys like Kemba, Jason, Jalen, Gordon. If some of those guys are out hurt, or they're all sitting for a period of time, which is very rare when they're all all healthy, to be fair, then the offense stagnates. There's nobody really to probe and force reactions from the defense. Romeo can do that. And then Brad Wanamaker, if he's in the corners, is a very good outlet option to get a shot off once the defense collapses. I think we ended up seeing a little bit of both sides of Romeo Langford. He's a lottery pick. He's only going to get better with more playing time. I do think with the right amount of seasoning, he could be a very high-level bench player for this team along lines of potentially a sixth or seventh man off the bench. And he's a spot start, as you said, if somebody's hurt. We say this, you know, after he went off against Orlando and we saw him get some time against the Hawks. Um, The one thing I think that's going to kill him is just 
the basic rookie mistakes. He's just got to get over the defensive lapses. We saw some of that versus Oklahoma City. If he can limit those mental mistakes, he's going to be able to contribute. At this point now, he's basically been, what, three and a half months without really playing any major minutes, if at all. And then we finally see him get a start. And he actually does really well. So if you can depend on him for some major playoff minutes, he ends up adding another dynamic to your bench. And since, since the tread deadline passed, we've gotten news on Robert Williams, who seems to be, by all means, healthier than he was before, happier that he's able to jump again, and looks like he's going to be back by probably March 1st at the latest. So you're getting a big... some. Someone was hoping that he would be back this year. He is. We've talked about it, you know, a couple times on other episodes, hoping that he would be back in the fold, and he is now. So if Langford can give you some more scoring and you can kind of figure out how you need to stagger your starters amongst your bench, this team could still be very capable of making a, a deep run. The one thing that I will say, though, is they still are at some point going to have to make a trade with these picks. You know, first-round picks are the lifeblood of contenders, you know, on the condition that you hit on them. So we can't be drafting as stashing guys. We can't be taking risk players. We can't be going for an international prospect like Gershwan Yabusele again. We can't take those kind of dice rolls. Because at that point, he just becomes salary filler. He's just taking up a, a spot on the bench. You need guys who are going to be able to contribute at a high level and be ready to do that. We just can't do any more project players. So first of all, I want to touch back on that Romeo thing you mentioned where you was talking about his defense. I try not to get too down on rookies for their defense simply because they are rookies. They need time to learn. Jalen Brown was a very good example of defensive mistakes in his first year. There were multiple times Brad Stevens would put him out of game shortly after putting him in just because of the mistakes he was making. That's the point of being a rookie. You need to be able to play through those mistakes and learn from those mistakes when you're back in the film room. So I'm... I'm okay with those mistakes being made as long as they're not made regularly. If they're made and it happens once or twice and then we start to see an improvement from that, I'm okay with that because that's how you learn in any walk of life. So I'm cool with that. When I touched on Brad Wanamaker's um, spot-up shoot, spot shooting, using a garbage time filter because those shots don't mean nothing anyway. Uh, he's shooting 39%. Um, from non-corner threes and 38% from all threes. When he's not in, and he isn't shooting corner threes at all, just to make that a little bit better. Um, he shoots from the elbows sometimes. What is happening though is that's 88th percentile in the league. So he's in, there's only 12% of guys that are shooting threes better than he is. So having a guy like Romeo to drive and kick out to him is going to be exceptionally beneficial to the team. When you're talking about making a trade with these picks, as much as I am anti-trade for the majority of the time, simply because I feel like it can cause more problems than it solves sometimes, uh, due to the way you have to package guys together and mess with chemistry, picks don't affect chemistry because they're not human quantities at that moment in time. I totally agree. I feel like with the amount of picks they have, maybe a young guy like Carson Edwards that just isn't great at the moment and he might need to be on a team where he can play through those mistakes like I just spoke about packaging that, that those sort of assets together to move up into the draft and chase somebody that's going to be a rotational difference maker similar to what Grant Williams is this year makes perfect sense to me I'm completely down for that it needs to be done 
there is no other option really. Like you said, drafting stashing is just wasting a pick. Danny Ainge worked very hard to get these picks. We're coming to the end of that treasure chest. He's got he's got to do something with it now. He he worked hard to put them in the bank. Now it's time to withdraw and make the move that you need to make. You don't save for a mortgage and then not buy a house when the deposit's there. Yeah, and I I think with the pick situation, the Celtics are in this really good spot where they have all of this young talent and you have all these picks and you know you can't use them all because you just don't have the roster space for it. I don't want to end up drafting guys, sending them overseas, and then having to deal with draft rights, draft rights rather uh, later down the line. I don't think that's going to help them become contenders. I don't think it's going to help extend their championship window whenever we truly believe that championship window to be open, whether you think that they're contenders now or, or not is besides the point when it comes to these picks. Danny needs to call up New Orleans and swap all the picks for Zion. (laughs) (laughs) We wish, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the big thing with the picks, and I know that this was a major conversation point around the deadline, was the asking price for Davis Bertans was really, really high. Not due to the picks, though. In my mind, I don't think the Celtics had really any issue with the picks. It was a matter of the salary. And it was his pending free agency. You know, we could still make a run at him in the summer. The Celtics can still make a run for him this summer if they want to. I just don't know if they will. It's just a matter of where they are financially. So to take a risk on a guy who could be a free agent and walk in the summer, on top of the fact that you have to now cobble together three or four player contracts and moving them, which, as you said before, Adam, could seriously damage chemistry, that was the real that was the reason why they didn't make a deal. It wasn't the picks. It was the fact that they were going to have to try and put together all that salary to make something work. And there's just no guarantee that, one, it was going to make the Celtics better long-term. You know, short-term, it's going to add some more shooting, but you don't know how down the line you're going to be missing a guy like maybe a Shemi Ojale, or you're going to be missing the rebounding talents of Ennis Cantor. You know, you, you don't know. Yeah, so and Ennis Cantor. Better not to make a move. Ennis Cantor is a great name to mention. Did, did Did you see the video of how he reacted at the trade deadline when it passed and he hadn't been traded? Genuinely excited to yeah. still be here. <laughs> and that's chemistry. That's what you want. You want guys who want to be there. Those are the players that you need because those are the players that are going to go out and play, play hurt, play banged up because they want to be a part of the team and be a part of what something special that's being built. That reaction honestly changed my opinion on whether Cantor would opt into his contract next year. Leading up until I saw that, I was just very much like, why would he opt into 5 million when he can go make 7 to 10 million on the market based on the output he's been providing the Celtics so far this year? If he continues that, then he could easily go and pick up an extra 2, 3 million a year somewhere else. But he seems genuinely happy. He likes the guys that are around him by all accounts. He's producing at a ridiculously high level, to be honest, way higher than what I was expecting from him. Likewise. He, I'm very happy. If he wants to opt into $5 million next year, then I think that's a steal for Boston. And at, and at the same time, too, that's still another tradable contract. Outside of what happens with Gordon Hayward, you still don't have a ton of movable deals on this team. The fact that a guy like Ennis Canner could stick around maybe for some rebounding help... I don't That's know if he would be the stuff. 
Uh, I mean, it would totally be heartless. But, but if you know, you... I love it here. I want to be here. I'm going to take three million a year less. Arguably, let's just say he was going to get like eight million a year. I don't know. Aaron Baines did the same thing, dude. They had to do the same thing to Aaron Baines. And after Isaiah Thomas, everything is off the table. They they will do anything they need to to make this team better. The only reason there wasn't a deal that happened at the deadline is because the money was just too hard to work around. Yeah, but look at the look at the negatives that came from that OT trade. Look at the the optics. People oh. like players yeah. view the Celtics differently because of that. It was a very oh, large sure. talking point, and it was one of the main narratives in the Anthony Davis talks. His dad was yeah. like, "You ain't going to Boston because of what they did to OT." Mm. I, I don't want to use the whole Anthony Davis point just because I feel like they use it as a spin zone to really deter the Celtics. So I'm not going to delve into that one too much, but I will say this, that definitely did sh- change the stigma around the team. I think in terms of how they handle players, how they handle trades, the Celtics haven't made a deadline deal since they acquired Isaiah Thomas. And the thing is, the optics as well. You don't want to just look at it from an external point. You need to look at that from internal as well. Did that affect loyalty yeah. from the players that are already on the roster? I feel like they're doing well in rebuilding that by extending Jalen and then just a foregone conclusion they extend Jason. And they haven't moved Hayward regardless of these struggles because that would have been like free that agent would have been suicide. Yeah, that, that would have, would have totally been. Well, it just, that one in particular, that was. Even worse than Isaiah's, in my opinion. Like Isaiah chugged. Isaiah played through a lot of emotional problems. Um, yeah, but like it was one of the hardest like times. Night, man. Yeah, dude, yeah. I mean, I mean it's, it's tough. I, I compare. It's like comparing, you know, a, a plane crash to a, a, a train derailment. Yeah, so this I, just took bad. a turn. <laughs> yeah, it's getting dark. Can we talk about potential buyouts? <laughs> so we'll go to break. We'll let we'll, we'll get the advertisements we'll in. When we come back, we'll talk about buyouts, and hopefully Tim will be off his post-apocalyptic uh, soul-searching journey that apparently is in bar time with all of us listening. Rip. Tim, I know that you went through and looked at looked at multiple buyout options that you feel that could potentially help elevate the Celtics slightly. I know when it's buyout time that the guys that are generally on the buyout market aren't guys that are going to come in and really elevate you into a contention spot or move you up in the standings much because if they were, they wouldn't be on the buyout market, plain and simple. But who have you got? I know you were looking at Isaiah Thomas, uh, potentially Evan Turner. I think Isaiah Thomas could potentially be a target. Deion Waiters is someone who interests me. Uh, the one problem I would say with him is he does a lot of give me the ball and get out of the way. So that would be an issue. One guy that I would really like, but I don't know if he's going to get bought out, would be Tristan Thompson. There have been some reports about it saying it's highly unlikely. Before that, we did have Brian Winhor saying that if he ends up on the buyout market, the Celtics would definitely be interested. Watch for that. Uh, the one thing that kind of intercedes on that is just there are reports coming both from the Cavs camp and other sources saying that there's not going to be a buyout. I don't know if that's on the Cavs or if that's on Tristan Thompson. I heard something that he wanted to try and maintain his bird rights for the next team to sign him. So that could be a factor in there. Other than that though, it's mostly dart throws. As you said, adding another body to this team, 
creates more issues than it solves in some ways. Only because with the buyouts, you're either going to be cutting probably either Vincent Poirier or Javante Green. That could impact chemistry, especially if you cut Javante Green. And because of his money, he might be the one who would be cut over Poirier. I do believe Javante Green contributes to this team uh, far more than Poirier ever has or will. But Poirier has money that carries over to next year and it's guaranteed. So Poirier is also the drip. The, the, I'm sorry, the what? The drip king. <laughs> the drip king. Uh, he, he does have some nice swag, I will say that. But He's swagged out. And the reason I've cut you there is simply because Javante Green, as much as he has contributed, at the moment it feels like Romeo Langford, is, the minutes he's getting is it in place of Javante, right? So if the team feel like Romeo Langford's going to be able to eat those minutes and perform well enough to eventually, throughout the, towards the end of the year, keep Javante out of that rotation anyway, then they may look to cut him to fill it with a position of need. However, I feel like his, Javante's athleticism does give him a bit of an advantage in certain matchups because he can just blow by fools and jump over absolutely anybody. Yeah, that's the one thing that he has going for him constantly. It's just... literally the only thing he has going for him. Yeah, well, his his three-point shot has gotten a little bit better, but it's part of the reason why he stayed out of the NBA. He just He's a really athletic, bouncy, springy, jumpy swing man who doesn't shoot threes. He He's done a lot defensively, I think, more than I expected. But as you said, if Langford can get those minutes, then he makes more sense to get them. He's a lottery pick. You need to play him in order for him to develop at all. So... If that's the move, that's the move. I just don't know if I agree with the chemistry, how it's going to impact the team. That being said, if it's for a big, it makes a lot of sense. If it's for a guy like Tristan Thompson, if he ever gets bought out, that makes sense as well. I I know that Kemba Walker talked about how he was recruiting Marvin Williams for weeks. Now Marvin Williams is reportedly signing with the Bucs, and the Bucs are waving Dragon Bender, uh, which actually sparked a little Twitter conversation uh, Adam had brought up between cutting Vincent Poirier or Javante Green if you were trying to get a guy like Dragon Bender, who was a top five pick only a few years ago. Yeah, and I wasn't I wasn't being an activist for Dragon Bender. I wasn't saying he was the guy that the Celtics should target. What I was getting at is he's a big man that is respectable from deep. So if you're saying we need size, we need this, they need that, then Bender might be the guy that fills each of those holes. However, defensively, he's a liability. He hasn't really shown much to make anybody believe that he's capable of hanging in the league. To get cut from Phoenix, of all teams, is uh, is telling in itself. However, maybe he was just in the wrong situation. You don't get drafted in the top five if you can't ball. So pl- coaches and scouting teams definitely saw something there. But I just don't think you... you take a guy off the buyout market as a project. You take a guy off the buyout market to make a difference. If you want a project, you keep Javante Green and see if you can develop that shot in the summer. And maybe you try and go after a guy like Dragon Bender in the summer as well, if the opportunity is still there. The one thing I will say, Dragon Bender is only 22 years old. So he still has a lot of growing to do in terms of his overall basketball IQ, what he can contribute. So, He's worth the risk, but at this point in time, I don't know if I would give up on Javante Green just to see what maybe might happen with Dragon Bender. That just doesn't seem like a good idea. 
Another guy I'm against, and I might catch a little bit of heat here, but I am against it, is I am against Tristan Thompson. Really? Yeah, as much as his rebounding and his ability to block shots is phenomenal, and he would be a good addition to the team. So what, you're going to have Robert Williams, Ennis Cantor, Daniel Tice, Tristan Thompson, and Vincent Poirier all on one team. You want five roster spots taken up by bigs. Well, that, there's the one thing with the Poirier, who you cut, Poirier or Green. Okay, so you cut Poirier and then you've got dead money next year when the team's already tight on salary and close to the salary cap. Then you're bringing in a guy like Tristan Thompson that's going to start eating into the minutes that maybe Rob Williams would get because Kansas has been too good on the offensive boards to really start cutting his minutes. You, Daniel Tice, what, you're going to slide him down to the four when he's playing so effectively at the five? He's... I don't Instrum- instrumental for this team's offense. Yeah, so I don't see that happening. So then you want you bring in Tristan Thompson, you slow down Robert Williams' development, and then Tristan Thompson could decide could be a locker room problem. I'm, by all accounts, from what I've read about him, I don't think he is. But that's a lot of bigs on one roster, and I genuinely don't think he's the guy that's going to put you over the top anyway. I'd much prefer a wing that can, a two-way wing at best. One that can, a three and D guy would be phenomenal. If you can pick up a good, solid three and D veteran off the buyout market, that's where it's going to really change the the outlook of that team. Tristan Thompson, to me, is a luxury piece at this point because he just does what Cantor does, only a little bit better. The one thing I will say that goes in his favor, if he were ever bought out, is the fact that he kills Al Horford in the playoffs. Then again, right Al now... Al Horford's with everything, killing himself in the games at the moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was going to say, with, with he's everything... He's eight points for the last four weeks or something crazy. I'm not like, that's fine, dude. You want to have it? Philly's having a tough go of it, both with him and Joel Embiid. So, at this point in time, you know, if I had to worry about going through Philly, Tristan Thompson would be a guy that I would like to get, but how much does he improve your chances versus Joel Embiid. If he's going against Al Horford, he has a great track record. He always manhandled Horford. Always. Always. So I was having a discussion with somebody the other day. Um, I think it was via direct messages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it was on Twitter because I don't really like other social media. And okay. the point that I made was, yeah, Horford's a fantastic defender. He can utilize... Um, perimeter play quite well on offense as well. However, he's a year older than he was last year. He's a year slower than he was last year. Age is starting to catch up to him. And guarding a guy like Tyce that is going to force him to play high up on the perimeter is going to remove his effectiveness down low because Tyce is just going to draw him out and pass the ball to Kemba or JT or JB. And those guys are going to put the Jets on. And I genuinely don't think that Horford has the lateral quickness to cover that distance from basket to toys at the top of the perimeter. Not regularly, not through the stretch of a game. And I doubt they're going to play him and Embiid together much because it's just not working. It's just not working. Horford wanted to play the four. He He came into Boston saying he sees himself as a four. And maybe he was at that point in time, but we're talking, what's that, four years ago now? Three years ago? Yeah. Like, he's slower than he was. Then. He, he, he's now a legitimate small ball five 
in fact, he's just a legitimate five at this point that doesn't have the speed or quickness to close out on wings that are rushing into the lanes. He's not the same Horford, and that's going to happen to him year on year now. He's going to keep losing a step. Yeah, just makes me sad. <laughs> so I ain't scared is what I'm getting at. I'm more worried about coming up against Demantis Sabonis and Miles Turner. That's where the problems are. Yeah, I definitely agree with that more. Like, paces are being slept on a lot. Victor Oladipo's back. Did they stand pat too? They did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. There's only a couple teams in the East that did. The Bucks being one of them as well as the Raptors. As far as I'm concerned, they made one of the best pickups during the offseason in Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. Uh, Dude, I'd love Malcolm Brogdon on the Celtics, dude. Um, (laughs) I really would. I'm, I'm such a big fan of Brogdon's game. Brogdon, Victor Oladipo, DeMontis Sabonis, and Miles Turner, those four guys are no joke. They scare me more than Philly do at this point, simply because I feel like Boston have Philly's number in the playoffs. They, I understand that Ben Simmons is phenomenal when he starts getting downhill. They added some shooters at the trade deadline. My argument there is you've added more mouths to feed in and added that to a, a locker room that's already fractured and struggling to get touches. Boston, Imagine Boston adding two extra mouths to feed last year into that locker room. It wouldn't have solved anything. And this no. is why I don't think it's going to solve anything here either. The, the problems run deeper than just floor spacing on that team. For Al Horford to come out and say there's problems in the locker room, but we're going to keep that internal, when, you've, when saying that is making it external, Completely and utterly show you exactly what's happening over there. They and things were things were bad in Boston before. He never came out and said that. He never came out and publicly admitted, yeah, we're having locker room issues. For him to do that now is a huge statement of what's going wrong there. This the trade that they made is nice, but it it's not gonna fix them. So I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about Milwaukee, Miami. And Indiana. Those are the three teams that scare me in the playoffs. What What are your thoughts on the Iguodala deal? I think it was a fantastic pickup by Miami. I'm a, I don't like the way Iguodala conducted himself throughout this season. He wanted no. to sit out because he, he wanted to play a part in a contender. He didn't want to finish his career on a rebuilding team. Fine. Cool. I get it. Hold on. Now the team that you want you didn't want to be on because it's rebuilding is showing signs of real promise. Ja Morant's a legit start, a stud. Jarrett Jackson Jr. is looking legit. You've got pieces around you that if you was on there too, you would accentuate their talents and you would be in the playoff contention. Okay, you're probably not going to be in championship contention, but nowhere you go not named Los Angeles is a guaranteed run to the finals whether that's Clippers or Lakers, one of those two teams are going to be in the finals. That's pretty much a given, right? So if you're not going to them and you're not going to Milwaukee, there's no difference between being on a team with Jarrett Jackson and Ja Morant or going over to Miami. Yeah, you get to play with Jimmy Butler, but that's not enough. You're not going to the finals with that roster. Jay Crowder was a great pickup too. Their defense, their perimeter defense, dude, is going to be somewhat different now. Yeah, the one thing I will say is Iguodala adds that certain edge, but I definitely don't think he's trying to carry this team. He's trying to do something that he did similar to what he was in in Golden State. He's trying to be that 
that guy off the bench or that guy that could be a spot start and be a defensive stalwart. But I don't think he was going to be that for Memphis. I think he sees the odds of him being able to get to a conference finals is going to be an easier path with Miami. I don't necessarily agree with that. And I think the way he conducted himself was poor, but I also don't blame him for wanting to be out of Memphis, but he could have conducted it all so much better. And at the same time, Miami shilled out a lot to get him in town. They, they gave up a lot. Yeah, but you now know? they have Jimmy Butler, Jay Crider, Goran Dragic, Kendrick Nunn, Solomon Bam Adebayo, Hill. Solomon Hill, and Iggy. Like, that's a solid core rotational group that is definitely playoff worthy. Absolutely. I don't want to face them in the playoffs, oh, not right no. off the bat. And the they definitely is, added another dimension for sure. They have a championship DNA. Spolstra's won championships. Pat Riley knows what it takes to create a championship winning team. The mentality up and down that roster is about winning. So he's come into a situation where the culture breeds success. They are going to be a very tough matchup for whoever they face. Jimmy Butler's a lockdown defender. He's having a good year, to be honest. So I, I under- see. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I understand why he moved there. And I'm definitely more scared of them than I am of Philly at the moment. Philly don't have that, that championship culture. They're figuring this out as they go along and they're not figuring it out well. Milwaukee scares the life out of me, but only because of Giannis. I I think outside of Giannis, they're a good team, but they wouldn't be feared the way they are. And that's cool, but that means what? So you you focus on Giannis, you get him in foul trouble, you get him angry, you keep getting under his shots, close out on Middleton when needed. And I'm not... Brogdon was a huge loss for them. I'm a big fan of Brogdon. I genuinely believe Brogdon was an absolutely massive loss for those guys. Huge loss. That was the one thing I will credit Indian is they went ahead and they got a guy that's not only going to help them, but it significantly weakens the biggest team in the way of them getting to a final. So I will say that Miami, depending on the matchup, they can make it far in the playoffs. I think they're for sure going to win in the first round. I don't expect them to have too much of a problem the second round, but it it also depends who they're going against. You know, if they end up getting a tough matchup, who knows? I would love to see. I don't know how the seeding would have to pan out, but I'd love to see a Milwaukee Miami series matchup, just because the the mentality is going there. Jimmy Butler is such a competitor and so damn aggressive. I'd love to see how him and Yanis go back and forth, just in a series. I just want to see how those teams would try and defend Yanis. Just just overall very interesting to see how that would pan out. But overall, it just feels like the one thing that the Celtics have to do is just stay healthy. And that's been premised throughout the whole year. That's been the narrative for the Celtics. The hospital Celtics are back. They've struggled immensely on multiple occasions due to injuries, which is part of the reason why a lot of fans wanted that trade to add that extra bit of depth off the bench so that Scoring can still take place when stars have to sit and other stars are out. I do feel like some of these injuries have been more air quotes injuries and just a way of getting some load management in. I wouldn't say all of them, but a few of them do smell a little bit like load management to me. But I think I, they're just being smart with it. They have to. Yeah, they have to. They're managing their guys because they're expecting a deep playoff run. Yep. And I'm all for it, dude. Um, We've kind of ran to the allotted time. What I do want to end this podcast with saying is sometimes no move is the right move. It's a common 
quote that's put out there, but I genuinely, after a week of, well, after two or three days of sulking and being a little bit salty about it, I sat down, I looked at the roster, I dove in synergy stats, I dove through cleaning the glass stats, I watched a few game game tapes, re-watched a couple of the more recent games. I'm very comfortable with where this team are at the moment. And for me, I feel like the, the roster that they have is capable of competing in the finals or the conference finals. I'll be releasing some articles over the next few weeks that will be diving into each player on the roster just to show you why I believe that. Definitely read them, leave a comment, hit me up via DM or tweet at me. I'm super responsive. Email me, whatever you want to do. Thank you for listening. Make sure you leave a a five-star review with some nice words. Always means a lot. If it's not a five-star review, that's a, it's sad. I'd much rather you message me and tell me what you'd like us to do differently instead of leaving a bad review because I'll make sure that we kind of change course a little bit to suit what you guys are looking to listen to. For sure. Unless it's my accent because I can't change my accent. Yeah, or if you find my voice annoying, I'm sorry. I could like do like, like a Joe Batman Rogan, voice. I, still, like I don't know if I agree with that, but you know, I'll, I'll roll with it. It's a compliment, I think. Well, Joe Rogan's from the Boston area. Oh. Did you not know that? No, I did not. I don't yeah. really listen to Joe Rogan. Neither do I, but I'm a big fan of... Um, well, I'm, I grew up doing martial arts and Brazilian jiu-jitsu before it was a big thing. Muay Thai before that got big. So Joe Rogan back in the day was a little bit of an idol of mine. Not so much now that he's this like media conglomerate name in his own right. Like uh, he's still cool in that, but he's he's too famous. I'm jealous, man. I'm jealous. That's all it is. Joe Rogan, I love you. We'll catch you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you guys on Friday with the next episode. What I do want to ask, actually, guys, is this one's been more league general. I wouldn't mind doing one of these a week if it's something you want to hear to keep up with what's going on around the league. So definitely, definitely give me some feedback on that. And Tim, say goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>